As you have blessed one another, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to those of you connected online in this moment. We're going to be walking through scriptures from Joshua 5 and 6. It's a familiar passage of scripture uh, if you're a Sunday school kid. And I hope there's some non-Sunday school kids in the room. There's kind of a song that goes with this scripture. Uh, Elvis is singing it today. Uh, his nickname is The King. And, uh, and But we're serving the King of Kings. And if you know the chorus, you can kind of sing along when Elvis gets to the course. Uh, there's, we're talking about God's great authority. God brings victory in our lives. And this was one of the snappiest versions we could find. Sing along if you know. Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Josh fit the battle of Jericho. And the walls come tumbling down. Good job. You're doing really good. Terry, Terry really likes this song. We're going to dive in every battle that we face. It's not ours. It's it's God's battle. So we've got to make sure we're up to God's battle as far as that goes. And uh, you're going to talk about the battles that God takes us into. Let's see if we hit the course. The battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Josh fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Give, give yourselves a hand. You did great with that. You did just just great with that. Well, in, in, we're going to be walking into Joshua 5 and 6. In my guyness, uh, I keep thinking about historical battles that, that take place. And we're going to go to a historical battle and learn from the Word of God. But there is a show called Deadliest Warrior. I, I don't know if you know that. There's three seasons of it. I'm looking around to see which one of you guys might spark, spark an interest in that. But what they'll do is, is they'll take some different kinds of amazing warriors, like uh, uh, one of them is uh, Spartans or ninjas. And then they go, like, if five Spartans fought five ninjas, who would come out victorious? They have historians, military strategists, all kinds of people in martial arts. And for what it's worth, if, if, if Spartans fought ninjas, they think that the Spartans would win. Uh, another one is if medieval knights fought pirates, five on five, which one might win? And the, the, the historians, they think, they think the pirates are, would, would win that one. Uh, one of the others is if Ming warriors fought musketeers, if, if they ever encountered each other. They have some more modern ones, but these are the ones I thought were, were kind of, these are the ones that I remember seeing. And it's like, oh yeah, the musketeers would probably come out on top with that. But you've got battles that you face in life. And uh, God is the one that has authority and is victorious. So here's where we go into scripture. Now I'm going to kind of I'm going to do Bible story time. We're basically going to do Bible story time through Joshua 5 and 6 with, with a few little comments along the side. But there's so much that goes pre-battle and so much that goes post-battle. We're going to in include things as they spike up. Now, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives, circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua did that. He made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeath at Haraloth. Now, the previous generation that had come out of slavery from Egypt. They were circumcised before they came out. But it's their children that they didn't pass that, that ritual down to in the 40 years in wilderness. Now, the whole dynamic of 
circumcision is part of a covenant relationship. They would even use the term to cut a covenant. So anybody that walked into some kind of covenant relationship with another person, think about like b- blood brothers. They might make a, make a mark on their wrist, get a little blood, intermingle it with each other. It leaves a mark and, ah, you know, we're, we're blood brothers uh, as far as that goes. We're partnered. We're connected together. And the act of circumcision really meant that we are intended to be circumcised from generation to generation to generation. And for what it's worth, uh, there is this new generation that's going to do things that the previous generation didn't do. If you consider yourself to be part of a new generation, I guarantee you there are things that God is calling you into very special that the previous generation didn't quite accomplish, but God has purposes for you. Be ready for those purposes. And then the Lord said to Joshua, so today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but just kind of hang on to that. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means a circle of stones, and it kind of sounds like uh, rolled away. It's, it's, it's the similar word for it. So the rolling away, like, like stones roll, God, God's taken away. God's rolled away reproach, and that's a reality in our lives as well. The day after Passover, that, that very day, so they celebrated the Passover. They ate some of the produce of unleavened bread, roasted grain. They didn't have Chick-fil-A's to hit uh, then. Uh, Chick-fil-A's were closed. Well, they're closed on Sunday. I know they would have been closed on the Sabbath at that point in time, too. Uh, up until this time, they've been fed miraculously by manna in the wilderness, but that stops as they enter the promised land. Basically, they got, they got ancient Near Eastern fast food. This is the kind of stuff you can, you can get it quick, and you can eat it on the go. So now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, he sees a man standing in front of him with a, with a drawn sword. And Joshua goes up and asks, are you for us or for our enemies? Okay, seems like a common sense question to ask. When, when we sense that there's new people around us, we go, are you for us or are you against us? Check out the answer. Neither. <laughs> but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Woo! Then Joshua falls face down on the ground in reverence and says, what message does the Lord have for his servants? The question is not... Whose side? Are you on my side or their side? The question is, are we on God's side? That's the question. And so the messenger of the Lord says, I'm not on either of y'all sides. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a donkey nor an elephant. You know, I'm not, whatever, however he was like, are you on God's side? And then the instructions are take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Joshua gets off his sandals. Where else? Where else have you seen somebody take off sandals because they were on holy ground? There, there, there's, there, it's, it's on purpose. We're supposed to connect this. Moses, the servant of God, the leader who preceded Joshua, has this burning bush experience where he is, on, by the way, holy means separated, set apart to God. And Moses is getting this call where he is to be separated to God. Joshua is. Friends, what we're learning from the word of God, this is how God works in the lives of his people. You will have your burning bush. You will have your moments. You will have your holy ground moments when God says, I've got a directive for you. I've got a definitive word for you. A set apart moment. Are you in? 
Are you in or are you in? Oh, here's the other option. Or are you in? <laughs> that's, that's it. I, uh, and it's time when that happens to go, I'm in. I, wind up, I like the Oceans movies, Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans 13, the ones with George Clooney where they're pulling off those capers. The very first one in Oceans 11, when they get the gang together, Danny Ocean gives his plan to the crew in general and says, now if you're in, come on into the house. We'll really walk through the details. If you're not, glad you enjoyed the buffet. We'll see you later. The Matt Damon character doesn't go in the house. He's kind of lingering out in the yard. One of the older members of, we'll call it the club, uh, comes up to him and makes talk with him. Hey, I know your dad. Your dad's really something. I hear good things about you. Get in the house. Get in. I, I want to I say, get in. And so God may have something really special for you. Get in. Get in on it. That, why, why would you do anything else? Maybe there's someone in this moment, and, and this is that time where it's being part of the family of God. Get in. What are you waiting around for? God, forgive me. I want to follow you. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. Jesus is the Lord of life. Get in. Stop messing around with the, I don't know, you know, little small talk, little, yeah, welcome. Get in. And you know if the Spirit is saying it, you say right now, you say in the flow as we share the story in the Word of God, God, forgive me. I want to follow you. I'm your child. Thank you that I'm saved by grace. Can't wait to see where you lead me. Can't wait to see where you direct me. Today's the day. Well, so Joshua gets these instructions. It says, now the gates of Jericho were barred. They were scared of the Lord. They were scared of the nation of Israel. And the Lord says, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. So here's what you're going to do. Now, check out. This is the plan. He's getting the plan from the, the commander of the Lord's army. March around the city one time for six days. Give the priests a trumpet. They're going to they're gonna make music and they're going to they're blow the trumpet while you're walking around. After you march around once, go back to camp. Six days you do that. Seventh day, come on back. You're going to march around seven times. And after that seventh time, there's going to be this long blast on the trumpet. Everybody shouts, See what God does. The walls are going to come down and you go straight in. You don't even have to take a crooked path in. You go straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, he calls the priests and says to them, take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets. He starts to do exactly what he's been told to do. And he even puts an armed guard in front and an armed guard behind. The Ark doesn't need an armed guard in front or behind, but it's, whew, you know, pays honor and reverence. And for what it's worth, in the Ark are three objects. Manna, the miraculous food that came every day that fed them through the wilderness, teaching them that you can trust God. In the Ark was the staff of Aaron that all the staffs, of the leaders of the nation of Israel, 12 of them were placed and Aaron's budded, meaning that God sets people, God sets nations apart for incredible callings. And so they're reminded of that. And also in the ark are the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. There's one copy that's God's copy. 
There's one copy that's the people's copy with all the words of life on them, the whole entire Decalogue on each, on each one. Why are they together? Because God is there and the people are there. They don't need to separate the tablets, the, the parts of the covenant contract, because they're traveling together. It is utterly crazy awesome, and that's what they follow around. It's a reminder of the presence of God. So, Joshua says, don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word until it's time to shout. Just, you know, hush it down and then see what God does. Now, this sounds repetitive because in the word of God, it just tells us the exact same things. They got the instructions and then to the word, dot in the I's, cross in the T's. It just says it all over again. And why is it doing that? Because, because they did exactly what God said. It's kind of important. So they circled the city once and they go back to their camp on day one. They do that for six days in a row. On the seventh day, they go around seven times. The trumpet gives the long blast. The walls come down. The people give a shout. Sorry, the shout. The walls come down and they go in and the city was devoted to the Lord. And then there's this statement. Only Rahab and all that were with her in her household, they were spared. Now, remember that Rahab had said something about, now I want, I want you to, she, she, she took care of the spies. She made this arrangement. And she said, I want me and my mother, my father, my brothers, everybody in my family. And now the statement's a little broader. It's, it's almost as if uh, word got out, hey, if you're, if, you're, if you're with the God of Israel, go to Rahab's. Go to Rahab's. And, and that's the place where you will be saved and spared and you can be a person who is going to be part of the people of God. So when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, when it sounded the trumpet, when the men gave the loud shout, yeah, just like we said, the walls collapsed. Everyone charges, go straight in and they take the city. Uh, oh, who brings the victory? Oh yeah, that was pretty much you just go where God says to go. You do what God says to do and stuff just starts to happen and victory comes your way. And then here's how chapter six ends. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Were we all ever talking about Joshua's fame? No. It's like Joshua's is going, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to do the stuff God tells me to do. And isn't it interesting Begins with good intentions, but we can really get caught up in stuff that we really care about. And after a while we go, hey, am, am I the one in charge? What do people think about me? I want to make a name for myself. And all of a sudden we can take and twist things ever just a few degrees and we can make stuff about us being exalted. But what does God do? God humbles those who exalt themselves and those who humble themselves before God, God exalts. That's what's going down right now. God is exalting Joshua because he just simply humbled himself and went where God told him to go and did what God told him to do. And he, he took the people that God entrusted with him. Um, friends, we don't have to connive to make a name for ourselves. God does that when we get in sync. Um, it's called promised land living. Uh, so here's what we're going to do next. I'm going to tell you, we're going to go to some, that, that's the Bible story with a few thoughts. Uh, these are the application pieces. We're going to see them real quick. Uh, when God has authority, when God is bringing victory, you're going to see these again. There's a wilderness experience. 
before you ever get into promised land living. Um, and there's this problem of spiritual fitness before God. It's like, oh yeah, I had to go through wilderness to get spiritually fit. Ugh, yuck. Okay. And then we're going to talk about that end of reproach, the end of shame that God brings when we go into God's promised land, and the reality of the Jesus war that we are engaged in. You're going to see him again in a moment. So right now, we're going to take a little sidestep. There's a lot of war in the book of Joshua. Hmm. Doesn't seem like we're called into, into these kind of battles. We talk about winning spiritual battles. We talk about taking ground in your life that God would give. So we're going to take a little aside and go, what's up with all the war in the book of Joshua? And we're going to look at this section that we're in. The good friends from the Bible Project have done a wonderful job with this. So we're going to dive into that specific section of scripture and we're going to look at that particular question and then we're going to jump back into our application. All right, so let's look at the screens. We find stories about all these conflicts that Israel had with different Canaanite groups. And the first part retells the story of two battles in detail. And that's followed by a series of short stories that condense years of battles into a few brief summaries. So the first two battles are against Jericho and then Ai. And they offer these contrasting portraits of God's faithfulness versus Israel's failure. At Jericho, Israel is to take a completely passive approach. So they let God's presence in the ark lead them around the city to music for six days. And just like Rahab turned to the God of Israel, maybe the people of Jericho would do the same, but they don't. And so on the seventh day, the priests blow the trumpets and the walls come falling down, leading Israel to victory. The point of the story is that God is the one who will deliver his people. Israel simply needs to trust and wait. Now the next story of the battle at Ai makes the opposite point. So there's this Israelite named Achan, and he steals from Jericho some of the devoted goods that were to belong to God alone, and then he lies about it. It's a pretty lame move after all that God has done for Israel. And so Israel goes into battle with the city of Ai, and they're totally defeated. And it's only after humble repentance and severely dealing with Achan's sin that Israel gains victory. And so together, these two stories, they're placed right up front to make an important point. If Israel is going to inherit the land, they have to be obedient and trust in God's commands. They don't get special treatment. Now, the second part of this section begins with the Gibeonites, a Canaanite people group. And they do just what Rahab did as they turn to follow the God of Israel and they make peace with Israel. This is in contrast to all of these other Canaanite kings who start to form alliances and coalitions and they want to destroy Israel. So Israel engages them in battle and they win by a landslide. And so this whole section concludes with this summary list of all of these victories won by Moses and then by Joshua. Now, let's stop for a second because odds are that these stories and the violence in them, they're going to bother you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're bound to wonder, like, didn't Jesus say to love your enemies? Why is God declaring war here? So first, why the Canaanites? The main reasons are actually given earlier in the biblical story. It's that the culture of the Canaanites had become extremely morally corrupt, especially when it comes to sex. Go check out Leviticus chapter 18. And they also widely practiced child sacrifice. Go see Deuteronomy chapter 12. And so God didn't want these practices to influence Israel. The Canaanites had to go. 
Which raises the second question. Did God actually command the destruction of all the Canaanites like a genocide? So at first glance, you know, you look at the phrases used in these stories. They totally destroyed them. They left no survivor or anything that breathed. But when you look a second time more closely, you'll see that these phrases are clearly hyperbole and not literal. So go back to the original command about the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Israel is first told to drive out the Canaanites, but then to totally destroy them. And then that's followed by commands to not intermarry with them or enter into business deals with them. So you can't marry someone that you've destroyed. I think you get the point. The same idea applies to the stories in Joshua. Look closely. So for example, we're told in Joshua chapter 10 that Israel left no survivors in the cities of Hebron or Debir. But then later in chapter 15, we see these towns and they're still populated by Canaanites. And so what we're seeing is that Joshua fits in with other ancient battle accounts by using non-literal hyperbolic language as part of the narrative style. And so the word genocide doesn't actually fit what we see here, especially in light of the stories about the Canaanites who did turn to the God of Israel, like Rahab or the Gibeonites. God was open to those who would turn to him. The last thing to think about is that these stories mark a unique moment in Israel's history. These battles were limited to the handful of people groups living in the land of Canaan. With all other nations, Israel was commanded by God to pursue peace. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 20. So the purpose of these battle stories was never to tell you, the reader, to go commit violence in God's name. Rather, they show God bringing his justice on human evil at a unique moment in history and how he delivered Israel from being annihilated by the Canaanites. Really enjoy receiving from the scholars at the Bible Project. Uh, let me see. Oh, am I on out there? I'm not on out there. I have a green light here. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Is there a mic I can grab if this isn't if this isn't on right now? I was gonna sing next, so maybe this is just I was gonna bust out a little Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Oh, I'm on. Yeah, I'm gonna I want to do that anyway. Anyway, okay, so 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 there's this Joshua fought the battle of Jericho kind of, how many of you grew up singing that? It's like that's that's from your childhood. Okay. And if it's not, that's 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 dynamite. But but one of those kind of things is if you grew up in a Sunday school class, children's church, this is a really familiar Bible story. And part of it is exactly what we talked about, that, that, that you can be victorious in your life. But know this, it, it's, it's not just this children's story. It is, it is for us as we get older and into the generations that Josh fought the battle of Jericho. It's, it's snappy because God will bring down walls that need to be brought down in your life. Uh, here's the deal. To get to to get to Jericho, to get into promised land, you got to go through the wilderness. And all of God's children, as you say, yes, you get out of bondage, slavery, captivity, equated to when they were in Egypt. You cross through. You receive release from sin. That's the crossover in the Red Sea moment. But, but there are wilderness experiences that we have. Um, when when God brought the people then into the promised land, Canaan, they crossed another water boundary. And what we noted is when the feet of the priests hit the water, the waters 
stopped. I mean, that was just stop, 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 stop. They stopped and they walked through on dry, dry, dry ground. God can get you through stuff that you, God can stop things that need to be stopped so you can get across and not through mucky kind of quirky ways and dry ground ways. So be ready for that. But what's taking place in the wilderness is God is testing the hearts of the people. For, 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 so them, for them to know where they're at. For them to be able, because what happens is when things are so, going so well in our lives, we easily get into our hunger for status, wealth, power, approval, freedom, fulfillment. Those things can grip our hearts and, and we don't need those things to grip our hearts. That's why wilderness moments wind up being so helpful and used by God. They sift that kind of stuff out. Jesus does everything that the people of God, the Israelites do in the Old Testament, he's going to repeat them and he's going to do them in, in swimming fashion in the New Testament. So he, he walks on the water and he calms the storm. That's going through. He immediately after he's baptized, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased, out to the wilderness, Jesus. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus was with wild animals and angels were with him. When we have wilderness moments, know this. God's there, and the enemy's there. The enemy's there, and God's there. They're both there. So wilderness is this blessed, amazing experience that we really put our trust, and we really get built up in the Lord. Now, when it says that wild animals were with Jesus in wilderness, think about all the other times that wild animals might have shown up in the Word of God with the people of God. If we go back to the first one, well, it's Adam. He names them. You're this, and you're that, and you're this. How'd that go? Pretty well. That went well. He named the animals. Uh, who else was with wild animals? Noah. Noah got across the flood waters. Noah was rescued. God brought Noah through that. And, oh, there were wild animals. That went well. Oh, okay. Who, who else was with wild animals? Daniel. There were a bunch of stinky politicians that were up to shenanigans and they had Daniel thrown into a lion's den. Isn't it nice we don't have stinky politicians who are up to shenanigans nowadays? I'm glad those days are past, huh? And uh, so the king didn't want to put Daniel in the lion's den and uh, you caught that, didn't you? And, uh, and, and yet the king wound up just, ah, it wound up being one of these red tape things and Daniel goes in the lion's den and the angels shut the mouths of the lions. Well, that went well. Every time we see the people of God in a, oh, there was wild, it, it goes, well, why? Because God's there. Child of God, God is with you when you go through the wilderness. Uh, so here's what is intended to happen. There's this, this problem of spiritual fitness before God. The Canaanites are not spiritually fit to be in that land at all. Why, why is that land so important? Those are God's people. That's God's promised land. That Those people, they are to be a blessing to all the nations because from them, the Savior, the Messiah of all the world is to come. That location happens to be the hinge point of three different continents. It connects Europe, Asia, Africa. That's the spot. That's the spot where the story of God can go global. It's incredibly important. Bethlehem, Jerusalem, that's the spot. Well, 
that's where his people need to be. And God is going to do something in their midst. God is going to make them spiritually fit. So think about spiritual, sorry, think about physical fitness for a moment, and then we'll translate it into into uh, physically fit, into spiritually fit. I have enjoyed through the years doing basketball camps. And I was lifting at snap and I was praying through, Lord, okay, I, 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 get, to, I get to run these basketball camps, but I, I can't go overblown like, oh yeah, athletics or all this and that. And the verse from Timothy came to me. Oh, so physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, for this life and the life to come. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, for this life and the life to come. So if I think of any physically put together kind of group that we can learn something from, it's like, let's, let's, let's talk about the Jamaican track team. We could pick out anybody, but we're going to talk about the Jamaican track team for just a moment. They just win, 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 win. The guys win, the gals win, they just win. And... In any given Olympics, there are 14 medals, only 14 medals that are given out for sprinters and in individual or relay sports. In the last three Olympics, they've won eight of them, nine of them, 10 of them. They always win, and it's, it's just nuts. They just win all the time. I watched something about the Jamaican national team track coach. So we talk about a nation that is victorious physically, and their coach... He doesn't practice them on a fancy state-of-the-art facility. Now, Jamaica is not a wealthy nation, but they could put up a, a kicking track to practice on. No, he wants to have a very, a very humble, a very humble setting. It's grass. There's a simple track. And, and the coach sits himself down on a metal folding chair, and he's got a stopwatch that you could get at the Dollar General. And he wants them to experience wilderness. Before they go and before they compete, he puts them through as much wilderness as possible. So it is with our Lord God Almighty. Uh, you, friends, are intended to lift heavy things, spiritually heavy things. You, friends, are intended to do lots of reps. Lots of light reps, and it ain't hard. You, and you do. I don't tell you this because I think you don't do it and you got to get your act together. You do this. You're amazing. You lift heavy spiritual moments, and people go, wow. Keep it up. And if you're not quite there, God will get you there. That's what the wilderness is for. And you do lots of reps. Meaning every day you get up and you get joy and you speak to people with love and you have a good attitude and you show up and you love on the people in your midst and you go to work and you do a good job and you don't gripe and you don't whine and you lift other people up. You speak words of life, rep, light rep, light rep, light rep. And you can just, you can just do this every stinking day. You can do this all day long. And that's what it means to be spiritually fit. And people are so blessed from the fact that you have spent time with the Lord God Almighty. And you're not entrapped by little slaveries. You're not entrapped by gloom. or not entrapped by cynicism. And you do all kinds of reps, meaning you're here right now. You're in this moment. You're worshiping week in and week out. You get into the Word of God. You know what? You dig it. And so you do it again. And even if you don't, 
fully dig it. You get in and you get in until you do. You spend time with other believers talking about the word of God. You find places that you, you serve. You figure out how to do that. And you go, you go this is, it's like, how, how can I not serve? And you, you find places that you do that. You, 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 you get real with people. Here's how I can pray. How can I pray for you? You're accountable. You give, you give financially. And the world might say, yeah, the church is all about the money. But you know better than that. You know that, that anything that you give, God is going to bless it. And God is going to use it to make sure that people know that God loves them and cares about them. Reps, reps, reps. And then that takes us to the fact that it says the reproach of Egypt has left you. It is the end of shame. What, what does that mean? The other nations were in awe of God that God brought, brought Israel out of Egypt of captivity. But they went, huh, their God pulled some shenanigans on them. God can get them out of Egypt, but he can't take them anyplace good. They're just kind of stuck in wilderness. <laughs> Silly Israelites, trust in Yahweh. Can get them out of Egypt, but can't get them anyplace good. <laughs> Culture's not much different today, friends, is it? <laughs> Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Bunch of Christians, bunch of followers of Jesus, bunch of believers. <laughs> It's always going to be that way. But when they walked into the promised land, that reproach left. Friends, you are intended to walk into places and spaces where you have victory in your life, where there are spiritual battles that are won, where there are attitudes that are changed, that there are atmospheres that are entirely different, and God will part the waters and you walk through on dry stuff. God can stop what needs to be stopped. You walk through on dry ground and God can take you to those places. And it, it, the, the emotional rejection of the culture, it means so little because the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, yeah, it's a step of faith, but it makes all the sense in the world that God defeated death at the cross. Just spend some time thinking about it and looking at the other options. The fact that God, the Father Almighty, is creator of everything there is, yeah, it's a step of faith. What else is it that you're going to believe in? Oh my goodness, it makes the most sense in the world that the Bible is God's inspired and authoritative word in our life. Yeah, you can put your faith and trust in it. It will tell you everything you know about about how to get to God. And it doesn't matter what the culture says about that. The Holy Spirit breathes spiritual life in you and gives you spiritual gifts and empowers you to be the person that God meant you to be. The reproach of Egypt is gone. God no longer calls you servants, but he calls you a friend. It's, it's amazing when we own who it is that God says that we are. And the fourth dynamic is this. The reality of the Jesus war. God's at war. Uh, it's an uneasy fact. But when we wrap up this application dynamic out of the word of God, we wind up realizing that our enemy is formidable. We do not fight and wrestle against flesh and blood against other people, but we wrestle against powers and principalities of this dark world. So we're in covenant relationship with God, meaning God's enemies are my enemies and my enemies are God's enemies. Who is God's enemy? Satan. Who, who are my enemies? Sin and death. Uh, we're partnered with God. Who wins? God defeats all of them. 
<laughs> God has defeated Satan. God has defeated death. God has defeated sin. And so if God wins, we win. And, the, and we might... We might not think, we might not say, so God did not call us into physical battles for the, for the kingdom of God. It's not life and death. Oh yeah, it is life and death. Eternal separation from God is death. Or eternal presence with God is life. On this side of eternity, abundant life is life. Walking faithfully, obediently with God brings life. Or we can just kind of be dead before we're dead. Walking spiritually dead. It is life and death. It is utterly important. The decisive battle has been won. God is victorious. And uh, child of God, I invite you to, would you all stand at this time? And, and we're going we're gonna to walk into this moment of prayer. And as we, as we ask ourselves some questions, just, just let God's spirit answer these to you. Are, are you in wilderness right now? And if you are, that's phenomenal. But just go ahead and claim, I'm in wilderness right now. What is it that God is sifting? What, where is it that you need to get your marching orders? As you get your, what, what victory is God calling you towards? What walls need to fall down? Are you simply asking God to do things that you want? Or are you listening to the things that God wants and are you following those instructions? Are your words bringing life. Friends, God, God has done so much to allow you to be spiritually favored and spiritually strong and victorious. The battle belongs. Any battle, it's God's. Where's God sending you? Where's your marching orders? Be ready for victory through faithful obedience. Lord God, thank you that we are in this place and in this space and that you are encountering us right now. Lord, you are speaking distinct steps and mindsets to the people gathered in this moment. We can't wait to see what you will do, Lord. Thank you for all the wilderness you've brought us through. Thank you, Lord, for those who this day are saying, Lord, forgive me, I want to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for the Jerichos that we've identified. Thank you for the marching orders that we've identified. Lord, even though we're at war, the battle belongs to you. Thank you for every victory you bring in your mighty name. And all God's people would say, amen.